That, that song has become for me very, very personal. And I hope for you by the end of today, it becomes very, very personal to you as well. And I think that I'm just going to get straight into it because I don't want to ruin the moment. But I think that every single one of us in this room at some stage somehow has had to deal with loss, have had to deal with some sort of suffering, maybe some sort of injustice that has happened to you. Uh, every single one of us has had to deal with pain or discouragement in some way, or maybe even you've been in that moment where you've asked God, I'm serving you, I'm following you, I'm doing everything you say, but where the heck are you? Why is this happening to me? Where are you? What is going on? And I had a situation like that that I'll share about a little bit later, but this is the scripture that God gave me when I was going through one of the most painful times of my life. And it's in Psalm 34, verse 18, and it says this. It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted this morning, the Bible says that the Lord is close to you. He's not afar off. He's not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. The Bible says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed, he doesn't leave to, to wander, to waver, to get lost in their emotions. But God actually goes out after you and rescues you when you're going through the biggest pain that you had. And this song here, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a guy called Horatio Sparford. And Horatio was a successful lawyer in Chicago. He had five children and, and he was married to his uh, beautiful wife, Anna, and everything in life for them was going really, really well until his son got pneumonia and died. Back in those days, there wasn't a lot of help for that sort of thing, yeah? Hospitals, aren't you glad you're born today? And um, if that wasn't enough, the next thing that happened was the Chicago fires. And Horatio had put all of his money, all of his savings and investment into different properties all over Chicago. And when the Chicago fires came through, every single one of his properties was burned to the ground and they didn't have insurance back in those days. Sons just died. He's lost all the money that he'd ever put together. And because of the pain of that and because of the sorrow of that, um, him and his wife decided that they're going to take their four daughters and go to Europe for a break. They just needed to get away from everything. He was still working as a lawyer, but he's going to take time out from the, from the uh, company that he was in, and they were going to go to Europe and see if they could just do something different and just see if they could put their lives back together. And just, just before they were about to, to leave on the boat, um, he had some urgent business that came up that required him to attend to it. And so what he said to his wife, Anna, he said, you and the girls go, you go on this boat and I'll catch the next one. I'll, I'll come in, the next one's in two days. I'll get, this, I'll get this business stuff sorted out and I'll come on the next one. And so Anna jumps on board the boat with his four daughters and takes off towards Europe. And on the way towards Europe, the boat sinks and all four of his daughters drown. His wife is rescued on a piece of wreckage and ends up in a place called Cartus Well. And from there, she sends him a telegram explaining to him what had happened. And Horatio, of course, immediately jumped on the next boat that was available to get to Cartus Well. 
And on the way to Cartuswell, they go through the passage of water where the boat sank and his daughters drowned. And the captain of the boat calls to him and he says to him, Horatio, this is where it happened. And right there in the vicinity of all of his pain, Horatio wrote, it is well with my soul. He wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm asking the question, how does somebody write those lyrics in the midst of all of that pain? How does somebody say, it is well with my soul? I don't know about you, Maybe you're a better person than me, but I wouldn't be well in my soul. I'd be pretty angry with God. I certainly would be considering whether he's for me. How does somebody in the middle of all that pain write those lyrics that I just described? Because the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in the spirit. He is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you found yourself in a marriage that you believe was going to last your whole entire life, but it feels like right now the foundations of it are crumbling right in front of your face. And you're asking yourself, what shall I do, God? Where are you in all of this? Maybe, maybe it's a tragic loss of a loved one. Nothing, nothing stirs up those emotions like Christmas, right? This will be my second Christmas without my dad, and, and nothing stirs up those emotions. My brother, um, who died uh, 11 years ago, his birthday was Christmas Day. So Christmas Day, always for me, there's always a moment as the morning starts of where I just experienced that loss. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, and you're trying to figure out, God, where, where, where are you in this scenario like what are you doing and where are you? Or, or perhaps an, it's an addiction that you just can't break. You, maybe it's a substance or perhaps it's images that you're looking on on the internet and you thought you would never be addicted to this stuff, that it would never have that hold on you, but somehow you find yourself addicted to it and you're scared to death about it because you're trying to break it off, but nothing seems to be moving and you're like, God, where are you? in the midst of this and what I want to say to you today and what we need to understand is that in the middle of our pain, God is still present. He's close to the brokenhearted. In the middle of your pain, He is still present. In the middle of your pain, God is still present because He's close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. It's what He does. It's who He is. And I can remember... A time in my life where I was in the middle of all sorts of pain, and that was when my brother died, trying to save the lives of others and losing his own life in the process. And, and I can remember, like, God, where are you? I think it's the, the one, I absolutely lost the plot one night. I scared the bejesus out of my children because they'd never seen me so angry in my life. I was frustrated, I was crying. I was upset, I was angry, I was bewildered. All of these emotions were swirling around on the inside of me, trying to figure out, 
God, what are you doing in this moment? And the more I heard the story, the more it affected me that he was there, he was above the waterline, and then around the corner comes, comes the life rescue yeah, guys, surf lifesavers come around the corner, and just as they came around the corner and had him inside, he went under the water and they couldn't get him. Like, God, why let him get so close and not save him? Like, what is going on? Why are you doing this to us? And then, of course, there's a whole thing of my, my niece and my nephew are now without a dad. My, and, and how long do you wait until a body turns up before you actually have a funeral or, or do something? And so the, the grief and the stress of that, it went on for like six weeks until my, my sister-in-law finally decided we're probably not going to see a body, and so we had a memorial, and then that was really weird because I don't know about you, but I, I find it quite soothing when the, when the casket leaves because it's like it's, like, it's like it's come to an end, but there's no casket. God, where, where, where are you in all of this? And, and some of you are going through some really, really difficult things, and you can begin to feel like that you have to act like you, everything's okay, and you put a smile on your face, and you, you toughen up, and you harden up. And I want to tell you this morning that I want you to hear this. It's, it's actually okay to not be okay. You don't, you don't have to walk in this place and fake it. You can be honest with God about how you feel. God is big enough to handle your feelings. He holds the universe between his thumb and his forefinger. He's big enough to handle your feelings. And if you don't believe me, then just read the book of Psalms because David just spills his feelings out all the time. God, where are you in the midst of all of that? And it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, hey, where are you? I thought you said you never leave me nor forsake me. I don't understand. This wasn't part of my life script. This wasn't part of the plan. This is not how I planned my life out to be. It, it, this was not meant to happen. This is not what I dreamt about. But now all of a sudden I'm in this situation where, where I've got this loss, I've got this pain, I've got this heartache, I've got this stuff going on. And even in the middle of my brother's death, I found a place in God where I learned not just to recite he is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. But I found a place in God where I got to believe it and I got to experience it. And my prayer for you today is that this truth, that God is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit would go from your ears to your mind and drop down to your heart, down deep in your heart and you will experience and be able to believe that God did not abandon you in the midst of your pain, but he was always present because God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Oswald Chambers said this once, he said, any great calamity in the natural world, death, disease, bereavement, will awaken a man where nothing else would and he is never the same again. We would never know, I want you to hear this, we would never know the treasures of darkness if we were always in a place of placid security. 
we would never know the treasures of darkness if we were always in the place of placid security. What, what, what does he mean by treasures in the darkness? Like, to be honest with you, when I first read that, that sounds weird, right? Because we understand darkness is bad, right? Yes? Okay, some of you. We're always seeing darkness as bad. So how can there be treasure in what is a bad place? And I say that there is treasure in darkness as long as you can have treasure in darkness as long as it is pushing you into the light of God. You can find treasures in darkness if it is pushing you into the presence and the light of God. It's a treasure in the darkness when you begin to understand that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When that truth transcends from your mind and goes down deep into your soul, it becomes a treasure in the midst of pain and in the midst of darkness. And when you walk through something that is dark and hard or a valley, or you go through something just scary, when you're walking with someone that you really love, right? When you're going through a difficult time, I don't know about you, but, but the people I wanted around me when I was going through what, my, what happened with my brother is I wanted to be closest to the people that I loved. I wanted to be closest to Trinity. I wanted to be closest to Madison. I wanted to be closest to Seth. I wanted to be closest to the ones that I love. I, I didn't distance myself from them in the middle of my pain, but I wanted to be closest to the ones I love. And that one night where I completely and totally lost it and Trinity told me, you're scaring the kids, you need to go for a walk and cool off. It was when I got back about half an hour later for this walk and I was just absolutely devastated. And it was my daughter sitting there at uh, 12 years of age on the couch and she goes, Dad, you can put your head here on my shoulder because it will always be here for you. You see, when you are going through dark stuff, you want to be close to the ones that you love the most. You step a little bit closer to the ones that you love. You like to be closer to the person that you love, right? Well, the truth is the same with God. The truth is the same with God. For those of us who walk with Christ and have a relationship with Christ, we, we look at problems a little bit differently than maybe what some others do because even though we ask the questions, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? God, I don't understand what's going on. Ultimately, we get to the place where we turn back to God and we realize that he is right here in the middle of it all. And I believe you're with me in this moment and you walk and you get closer to God, even though it may feel distant when we go through pain and heartache, we realize there comes a moment amongst all of our doubts and amongst all of our questions where we realize that God is there. God is there. And we step a little bit closer and we get a little bit closer to him because he is close to the broken hearted. Psalm 73 verse 28 says this, but as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. Man, it's cool, right? But as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. I have made the Lord God my 
refuge. I've said this scripture over and over again to you, which says the righteous run into the tower and are saved. We don't, we don't run away from God in the midst of our pain and our darkness, but we actually run to him. He becomes our place of refuge because the nearness of God is good for me. That's how we find treasure in the midst of our darkness because we know that God is present with us in the middle of what we're going through. The nearness of God is good for me. And you could say that that's treasure in the midst of your darkness. You know, I'm, I'm blessed enough that, that I, have a, I have a new toy at home. Um, uh, for my birthday and Christmas present, I brought myself and then told the family this was my birthday and Christmas present. I brought myself a new smoker and uh, for those that barbecue. And, um, and it turned up on, on Thursday, I think it was, turned up Thursday. And uh, so the last two nights, Trinity loves it that I've got a new toy because it means that I'm doing all the cooking. All the ladies are like, I need to give my husband a barbecue. Um, and, uh, and so for the last two nights, I've been using it. I'll use it again tonight. Um, and, and while it's, because it's, it's slow cooking, right? So it takes, it takes a wee while and you can smell the smell coming off it, right? You, you sit there and, and the smell is going on and you, and you go, mm, and, and, I, and, and Utiki was over at our house last night for dinner, probably because he heard I was using it. And he, he's out there and he goes, mm, smells so good, smells so good. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. Seth comes out and, and he goes to me, well, you know, is it ready? No, not for another hour. <laughs> it smelled so good. He wanted, to, he wanted to eat it right there and then, but it, it, just, wasn't, it just wasn't ready. It smells so good. And, and you've got this whole thing of, man, I bet you if it smells, if it tastes anything like it smells, this is going to be great. Yes? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think one of the problems we have as Christ followers or as people is that we, we tend to only thank God when things are done. We only tend to thank God when things are ready to eat. What if we start thanking God when things are still cooking? Are you with me? The things that are not ready to eat, but man, you can smell them. You can smell them in your life. Our marriage isn't healthy at all, but it's healing. I can smell the healing. It's, it's not cooked yet, but I can. I thank God that it's smelling good right now. I, I battle a little bit with anxiety, but I, but I have long spans in between those battles with anxiety of peace. I can, I can smell it cooking. I can, I can sense it coming. I can smell it. I can't taste it yet because it's not there yet, but I'm going to thank God for the process or for what's happening in the middle of the process. I'm going to thank God for the treasure in the midst of the darkness. I'm not out into the light yet. I haven't got through to the other side yet. I'm still in the middle of the valley, but I can smell His goodness. I can smell that He's close to the brokenhearted. I can smell that he rescues those that are crushed in spirit. And so I'm going to thank him in the middle of the cook. I'm not going to wait until it's done. I'm not going to wait until I'm rescued. I'm not going to wait until I feel his closeness, but I, I can smell it. 
So I'm going to thank him in the middle of it. And then in the middle of it, I will start to see the treasure in the midst of the darkness. You know, I look at Bible characters and it just amazes me the pain and the hardship that that they all endured, ones that we look up to. I, I think of Noah. I think of Abraham. I think of Isaac. I think of Moses. I think of David. I think of Elijah. I think of the Apostle Peter. I think of the Apostle Paul and all the pain and the heartache and everything that those guys went through. And it just goes on and on about the different ones throughout Scripture that endured pain. And, and, but they understood something in the midst of their pain. They understood something, that God was present in the middle of it. Paul says, though they, though we, we are pressured, we're not crushed. He understood the presence of God in the middle. But no one is probably more profound in understanding the presence of God in the middle of pain than Jesus. Jesus, the, the sinless Son of God, falsely accused sentenced to be flogged and then crucified. He was stripped of all of his clothing. Lots were cast by the Roman soldiers for his clothes. He was beaten within an inch of his life. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was made to carry his cross up the hill. He was put on the cross and nailed to it with spikes through his hands and his feet. He was lifted up and a sign was placed over his head that said, Hail, King of the Jews. And the people looked on and they spat at him and they mocked him and they said, You've saved others, save yourself. The creation mocked the creator. That is a lot of pain. And in the middle, if I can just get the band up, that would be awesome. In the middle of all that physical pain, there was also the weight of the sins of humanity, of your sin, of my sin, of everybody that has been and everybody that is to come. The weight of everybody's sin was upon him, Sins of all humanity placed upon him. And in that moment of incredible pain, he cries out, doesn't he? Cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like you and I have cried out in the middle of our pain, God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? Have you ever felt like that? I, I don't get it. I don't understand why this is happening. Why, God? Why is this happening? But we need to understand something because the truth is when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he's claiming something far greater than God, where are you? You see, Jesus was a rabbi and rabbis in ancient, ancient times taught by saying the first line of the text and then everything that came after that line, everybody knew to be true. So his followers and his students, um, in the traditional oral teaching way, people would spend 
copious amounts of time learning the Scripture off by heart and reciting Scriptures. In fact, just about every man by the age of 13 could quote off the top of their head, off by heart, the first five books of the Bible. It was, it was the common way of how they taught and they would recite them and they would remember them. And Jesus would say the first line of Scripture to His, his followers and they would know exactly what was coming next. They would follow on. He'd just have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and they would go, we shall not want. And they'd, they'd quote the whole entire Scripture that comes following it. And they would know that everything that comes after that line that Jesus quoted, everything after that would be true from the rabbi in that moment. The, the only way I can kind of describe it, it's, it's, like, it's like if you hear one line of a song and then all of a sudden you jump into it, like at the Lakina Quin, Quiz Night. You know? Country road. to the place where I belong. And the whole entire place just started singing along to that song, right? And you hear songs and you hear one line and boom, the rest of the lyrics come out. All the memories flood back to you when you heard that first. Like Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Every time I hear that song, I immediately think of me driving between Taronga and Fokatani and the beach there because we were going there to a Hopi to have our holiday. And it brings back those memories instantaneously as a child. And so when Jesus quotes a sentence or a text or a line, immediately everything that follows it comes to mind for them. And when the rabbi would say the first line, they believed everything that came after that line would be true. And in the moment of his death, Jesus, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not him crying out because he feels abandoned. It's him quoting a text of a messianic prophetic psalm of Psalm 22. And I'm going to read you some of the lines from Psalm 22. Because everybody that was here, there, that heard Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instantly, all of these words would have come to mind. All of these scriptures would have come to mind. They would have understood what he was saying, that he was quoting a line out of a prophetic psalm of the coming Messiah. And it says this, I'm gonna just read out some of it, all right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. They say he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me to trust in you, even at my mother's breast. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. My mouth is dried up. We know that on the, on the cross his mouth dried up, right? And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display as his body was ripped open and the people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots of my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. 
come quickly to help. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Then all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and rules over the nations. Future generations will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, he has done it. You see, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not a question by Jesus of God's presence. It's actually a proclamation of the goodness of God in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a pain. There's treasure in the darkness because I'm the one that God spoke about. I'm the one that's gonna take away the sins of the world. I'm the one that's gonna rescue you. I'm the one that's gonna be close to the brokenhearted. I'm the one that's gonna rescue those crushed. This is not a time of despair. It's a time of victory, this treasure in the darkness and in the darkest hour of humanity. The Saviour was hung on a cross and the world watched with bated breath to see what would happen. And there was no darkness in that tomb that could contain the treasure of the power of His resurrection for what He has done. Jesus died and He rose from the grave so that you could have a life in the middle of your pain and understand that God is still present with you in the middle of your suffering. God is still present because He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. And that's why Horatio Sparford could say, my sin, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. You see, it is well with my soul is not a hymn of deep, deep anguish and question. It's a hymn of great hope and expectation of what is God is going to do. This hymn creates a treasure in the midst of the darkness. This treasure in the darkness in the middle of your pain. Because God is close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. You can find treasure in the midst of your darkest place. Just like Horatio Spamford found, it is well with my soul. Why don't you all stand to your feet? Every single person. I, I don't know what your anguish is. I don't know what your darkness is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the loss that you've had. I don't know the hurt that you have experienced, but I know this. I know that He's close to the brokenhearted and He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. And I know that Horatio Spamford understood this 
I know that Jesus understood this. And when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a declaration of the absence of God. It was a declaration of the actual presence of a Saviour. And we can sing this song in the midst of our pain and we can declare it as well. It is well with my soul because my sin, not in part, but in whole, has been nailed to the cross and I don't have to bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I want you to close your eyes. We're going to sing this hymn again. And flick off all the lights, guys. It'll be awesome. And I want you to cry out to Him in the midst of your tragedy. Cry out to Him in the midst of your darkness. Understand that He's right there with you. 